title of the message this morning is, Where Has the Light Gone? Let's see this water. Where has the light gone? Exodus chapter 10. If you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. This is what the word of the Lord says. Exodus chapter 10, starting in verse 21, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move, out for, uh, move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just be moving today, Lord, that it would not be my words spoken, but yours spoken through me. That those who would have ears, let them hear the declaration of your word today. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you in this place are afraid of the dark? Anybody afraid of the dark? Got a couple hands over here. That's good. All right. It's not good that you're afraid of the dark. It's okay. There's nothing in the darkness. But maybe growing up, you were afraid of the dark. And, and when, I was, when I was growing up, I, I always looked at darkness as, as something that really there was, it just left a lot to the imagination, right? It wasn't that there was anything bad in the darkness. It wasn't necessarily that, that there was any evil that's lurking in the darkness. No, the, the boogeyman doesn't exist. But it's still in, in our minds, we, we can think that there's something in the darkness because we just can't see it. We, we don't know what's going on. We, it, in some ways, it incites fear into us. And that's why the good old nightlight is, is around. So that way it demystifies. We don't have to be afraid anymore because if we can see, then we'll be okay. In this passage, we see that there is the ninth plague. This is the ninth, uh, ninth, ninth mighty act that God does against Egypt, and this is the plague of darkness. Now... There are other plagues before this, and, and, and like we said before, two plagues ago, uh, right, we, we talked about how now God is starting to really attack the people of Egypt. He's, he's really going against the Egyptians now. And as he's doing this, the, this darkness, it, it's, a, it's a direct darkness, it's viewed, and, and darkness is viewed very differently, just so that we're aware. It, it's viewed very differently during that time. There was no electricity. There was no way that, that to light the streets of Egypt. There weren't any, anything around. There wasn't anything around that, that kept the streets lit, that, that kept everything bright like the sun. And so this was a moment that, that for darkness for three days, this was really kind of terrifying. This was a darkness that, that really, as you, as you look at what was going on during that time, this was a darkness that would, well, the crops wouldn't be able to, to grow. And, and this is darkness that, that really, within the darkness, there's robbers that would, hap, that would be there during these times. 
You didn't go outside in the dark. You didn't travel in the dark. That, you know, your Amazon package would take two weeks and not two days to get to your house because there was no overnight sending. You just couldn't do it. It wasn't a good idea. If you, if you were to, to wander outside of the city at night, then, then you could end up walking off a road or, or, or walking off a cliff or whatever that looks like. It, it could be really, really bad for you. And so you didn't travel at night. This is a place where danger lurked in the dark during this time. In this passage, we see the plague of darkness happening for three days. Translation, as you read through this, it says that darkness spreads over Egypt. Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. That translation is a little uh, misguiding, I think, because what's really going on here is instead of saying spreads, it says darkness will be over Egypt. And so when we talk about spreading, we, we talk about, we think of gradual, right? Like, like somehow out of, out of the hands of Moses, all of these shadows start coming out. But really what happens was as soon as Moses raised his hands, it was like he flipped a light switch and there was darkness everywhere. And so it wasn't something that was gradual where the sun went down or any of those things. It was just simply darkness was there. And this darkness was, was so thick, so intense, that it could be felt. Some scholars believe that this darkness comes from, came from a sandstorm or, or they've been, uh, that have been known to be really thick with sand. And so that's how you could feel it because of all the dust from the sandstorm. Other scholars believe this, was, this might have been an eclipse, but really an eclipse that happens for three days is really impossible. And so the reality is, is no form of natural explanation for what's going on can explain the supernatural of the plagues that God is doing. We've talked about this before, but there's no naturalistic explanation. As much as you may want to try to explain these things in a natural way, you cannot. This is a supernatural darkness that cannot be explained. The the translation of the word darkness is literally an eerie darkness it's it's a darkness that just doesn't sit right with you it's a darkness that that you just feel kind of the hairs on the back of your your neck stand up you're in the darkness this word is used this eerie darkness as a connection to the darkness that comes on the day of the lord when when the lord comes back it says this in isaiah chapter 8 verse 22 then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Joel 2, 1 through 2 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Zephaniah 1, 15 says that day will be the day of wrath. This is the day of the Lord, a day of distress and anguish a day of trouble and ruin a day of darkness and gloom a day of clouds and blackness this darkness the word that was used in all three of those passages is specifically talking about the day of the lord when 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 the lord comes to pour out his wrath upon the world and then recreate the new heavens and the the new earth when essentially when jesus comes back this is what is going to happen there is going to be darkness and it's not just night it is a deep 
eerie darkness. It's a darkness that is, that is so intense that it's difficult to do anything. I love how it says that it is a darkness that can be felt. The word felt here, it's an interesting word because uh, the, the actual word in the Hebrew is grope. And so it's a, a darkness uh, that can grope. Uh, the way of this phrase that, that is used is, is really, it's not necessarily that the darkness can be felt itself. It is that you have to feel around in order to move around. The, the way that, that this entire, the entire passage is phrased, this, this specific, the darkness that can be felt is, is you must feel around in order to move in the darkness. That you cannot see the hand in front of your face. You cannot see other people's faces. Even, even a light that you light, is, it's so dark, it doesn't matter. This is that heavy darkness. It's so intense, you have to feel around in order to travel. This is darkness. It's a direct attack on the Egyptian god, Ra. Uh, Ra was the god of the sun. It was really, he was the king of the Egyptian pantheon. And so he was the, the chief god or, the, or the, the god king of all of the other gods. And so here, as we're getting close to the very end of these, uh, of these plagues, and we've seen that God is greater than, and we've, we've seen that God is greater than the, the God of the Nile, and the God of the desert, and the God of the sky, and, and all of these other individuals, we now see that God is choosing to attack the God, their God of gods. That we've now come to this place. I've shown you that I am stronger and I am greater than every other God. And now I'm going to show you that I'm greater than even your greatest God. That is Ra, the God of the sun. And so how do we attack the God of the sun? We get rid of the sun. See, the sun is really the most important thing in Egyptian culture. We talked last week that Egyptian, uh, the economy of Egypt was, was an economy of agriculture. Well, there's two main things that plants need in order to grow. The first one is water, right? They need some form of water in order to grow. And, and God has already shown that he has power over the Nile. But, but even without water, it may still grow, but they need the sun, in order for crops to grow, they need the sun. And, and what has happened already to all of the crops? They've been destroyed. And so now what God is doing here, he's not only destroyed every single crop in, in Egypt. He hasn't, he's destroyed it with hail and locusts. But now God is destroying their ability to recover from those other two. He's saying, not only can you, do you not have any food now, but you're not going to have any food later. It was important. People couldn't see. They, they couldn't necessarily be safe, as we talked before. But the sun was the most important thing, and to blot out the sun was to, to, to get rid of really life itself. There's no way that they can make it now. You know, the, the phrase that there's light at the end of the tunnel, why do they say that? Why? Because the light brings hope, right? There's no light at the end of this tunnel. There's nothing, utter nothingness. It is completely 
dark. And so this is the ninth mighty act of God. A darkness so intense that you can't even move. Everybody was shut in their homes for three days. Imagine sitting, I know people do like darkness retreats and stuff, but imagine never doing a darkness retreat and then all of a sudden here you are. And you're just laying in bed and there's just darkness and you can't move anywhere because you can't see anything. And so you lay in utter darkness. I'm sure it was silent as well for three days. No moving. No saying hello. Nobody there to call for. Nobody to talk to. You're just there in darkness. And yet, in this passage, it says that there was still individuals that had light. The people of God. The question that I have for us this morning is where is the light? Where is the light? We see here that there was an intense darkness in Egypt. It was a darkness that was sent by God. And although this darkness is close to the darkness of the day of the Lord, it really is only a taste of it. That's the thing is, is throughout themes of scripture, if you read through the prophets, you'll, you'll see that, that God gives his wrath and pours out his wrath upon Israel in order to bring them back. Why? Because he wants to give them a taste of what it's like for eternity. And so the darkness that God is giving, it's, it's not the, the same darkness. It's, it's like the darkness on the day of the Lord, but it's not the same. It's only a taste. It goes away. But the darkness on the day of the Lord is forever. Jesus talks about this. He talks about this place where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Legion, the the demon that Jesus cast out, they asked Jesus not to let them go back into the abyss or the pit, the, the place where there is deep, intense darkness, where there is no light. It's not full again. It's not the full darkness that God will bring, but it is a taste of it. And the reality is, is that much like Egypt, this is the darkness in our day and age, isn't it? We talked about this last week, that the locusts were, were really a physical representation of what was going on in the spiritual and the supernatural of sin in our lives. And in the same way, this darkness that God has put upon Egypt is is a lot like the spiritual darkness that we may come in contact with and that we feel today. It is not the darkness that God creates or God provides. It's really a darkness that sin creates. But this is a deep darkness that we all can feel. Really, all you need to do is spend an hour in a public school and you'll feel it. Am I right? All you need to do is walk around downtown, drive through a broken neighborhood, and you'll feel darkness. 
You can feel it. Even, even unbelievers can feel it. <laughs> we can feel like something's wrong, like something's heavy, like something's deep, that, that there's something here that is not right. The reality is, is that sin and its repercussions can be seen and felt everywhere we go. We're in a place where there is darkness. So the question again is, where is the light? Well, I guess a better question if we're surrounded by such darkness, then, then what do we do? What is there to do if, if there's such intense darkness around us? What do we do when, when the world is the way that it is, when all we see is death and hatred and, and violence, when all we see is sin? What, what is there to do with this darkness? Well, Scripture is pretty clear here that even in the midst of all this darkness, there were still individuals that had light. That God continues to make a distinction between his people and everybody else. But the reality is, is that we have light. And I know this may be a repetition or a repetitive sermon because two weeks ago I preached about being the light of the world. But the reality is, is that God's people are those that carry the light of Christ. I love that, that passage, Isaiah 8, that we were talking about the day of the Lord. Can we put that up? It's, it's further, Isaiah 8. Should be that first one. There it is. It says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. This is the day of the Lord coming, but I love what it says. The next chapter over, Isaiah chapter 9, it says this. We can look at it, verse 2. It says, the people walking in darkness. So this is already we're walking in darkness. Already the day of the Lord has come, and there's this, this intense darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This passage is used a lot for Christmas. And in the midst of darkness, Jesus came. In the midst of, of living in a land of deep darkness, there has been a light that is dawn, and that is Jesus. That Jesus has come, and, and to bring light, he even talks about himself as being one of light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. John 8, 12 says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The question again is, where is the light? And the answer to that question is in Jesus. It's very simple. And yet at the same time, it, it, it is something that changes our lives forever. Maria, you can come. Not only is there darkness, not only do we walk, maybe it's even your own neighborhoods, maybe it's your neighbors, maybe, maybe it is, is just in a place that you like to go and grab coffee and you can just feel the darkness. 
But there is a time when the light came and that those who were in darkness saw a glorious light, that, that the land that was full, that was heavy, that was saturated with darkness, there's a light that dawned. And we as believers, is that the, the story of every single one of us, this is the gospel story. Each and every one of you were in darkness. And through that darkness, there was a light that dawned. And you saw the light. And that light ushered you into a new life, the, the light of life. It ushered you into to a new life, a new walk, a new way of living. And the way of that was walking in the light. The reality is, brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by darkness. We cannot deny that. And even if you tried, you know deep down that you can feel it. The goodness of the gospel is those who are in darkness now walk in light. And the goodness of the gospel is that those people that walk in light, the light's not just for them, it's for other people in darkness too. And really the light that we have, if we're talking about ourselves as, as the, the lights of the world, we're, we're simply, Jesus is simply the flame that we're carrying. We're just like, we're like the moon to the sun, if that makes sense. If Jesus is, is the intense light of the world, we simply reflect him. We reflect his light. We show his light. We, we take these places. We, we are simply vessels of the light of Christ. And those vessels, as, as we walk into places, we should be going into dark places and shining lights and pushing back the darkness. It's so important for us as believers to understand this, that, that you were not meant as a believer to come to church and sit in a chair and go home and that's it. If that's your theology, it's wrong. If that's the way you view your relationship with Jesus, that it's just your relationship and not for anybody else around you, you're wrong. Because in the midst of all this darkness, I can just imagine, this is just my speculation here. This is the Pastor Galen version of scripture. I can just imagine somebody in the darkness trying to feel the, their way around and trying to figure out where to go. And they get to their, finally get to their, their bedroom window and open the curtains and because maybe it's just them. Maybe they're the only ones that, that have darkness in their home. And, and they wanted to see where, if the darkness was everywhere. And uh, I just imagine maybe it was a, a house on the outskirts of town and, and Goshen was right next to them. And, and they looked around and there was all this darkness and yet 
they could just, if they just squinted a little bit, if they just kind of looked right, and then there was just maybe this little bit of light coming from one of the houses of the Israelites. Maybe there was just, just a little bit that they saw that, oh, they have light, but we're covered in darkness. In the same way, Jesus' command is to make, let your light shine before all men. And so who has the light? Jesus is the light. And we have Jesus, then we have it, right? And so what does this look like for us, man? It, it, it can look like a number of things, and we've talked about this the last two weeks. It could look like help and work with social workers. It could look like help with the foster care system. It could look like, like us practicing hospitality to our neighbors. You know, the best, the, the most important place in your home is your dining room. You know, the place where you can do the most spiritual warfare, the most spiritual damage is inviting individuals that are part of the darkness into your home to share a meal, sharing the light with them. Yes, the prayer closet is important. I'm not saying that it's not. What I'm saying is, is that pray and push back the darkness. Jesus even says in, in that whole, you are the light of the world thing in, in Matthew chapter 5. He, he talks about specifically saying that lights aren't meant to be hidden they're meant to be shown throughout the house it's meant to it's meant to be looked at it's meant to be seen in the same way should be for us and as long hear me as long as you draw breath you are a bearer of light can I I've said this a lot and I'll say it again you, there isn't a age distinction on those who hold the light of Christ. I thank God that it's not like a roller coaster with Jesus, where it's you must be this tall in order to ride. You must be this old in order to be anointed. You must be this, this old in order to, well, you must be this young in order to, to evangelize. reality is is if you still draw breath and jesus is your lord and savior you are one who carries the light and it is the challenge and the command of every believer make disciples to bring light to dark places where you work in your homes in your neighborhoods Every single place you go, that one place, the, the grocery store that you go to every single Thursday and, and you see the same cashier every single day, make it a point to see that cashier every single day. Well, that, that individual may be in darkness and, and you've got the light. And so, hey, look, she, that, that person may be scanning milk every single week, but, but they're also hearing about Jesus.
again, the, the point I'm trying to make, and I'll stop belaboring at this point. I think we all get it, right? That each and every one of you, for, for the longest time, we've sat there and said, okay, the church is the one that has the light. And so we're just going to keep the church and the light in the church. And we're just going to invite people into that light. And the reality is, is that's not what scripture would tell us to do. This is a place for believers to come and worship the Lord together. This is a place for us to to grow in our relationship with God and, and grow deeper in our relationship with God and grow in fellowship with one another and to be the body of Christ. But for some reason, we've decided as individuals, as believers, individual believers, that what we're going to do is we're going to put the responsibility for bringing light to places on the pastor and the church as the building and not actually be the church. And so what, what has happened is, well, that pastor's younger and I've paid my dues to this church and so he can do the job and I don't have to. Or you know what, that, isn't that what, what Pastor Galen went to Bible college for? And so can't, isn't he like really good at evangelizing? No, I still got to work at it. Contrary to popular belief, they expect you to know all that stuff as soon as you get to Bible college. I just know how to read a little bit of Hebrew. That's what it taught me. Not how to evangelize. Why? Because we should already know that as believers, right? The point I'm making is that, you know, we've, we've done this thing at Emmanuel, and we've made it a point. I don't know if you've, I'll just be real with you for a minute. We've made it a point that, that we want to give you the power that Jesus gives you. We want to release you with the power that Jesus gives you. We don't just want individuals coming to know Jesus here in this room. We, we want, my goal, my hope, my prayer is that every single one of us would answer the call of making disciples and would answer the call of preaching the gospel and would answer the call of bringing light to dark places. That instead of, of unbelievers coming into this place because you've invited them, they're actually believers coming into this place because you've led them to the Lord and now they're part of the family of God. There's a difference. You, you see the difference? And I'm not sitting here and saying that we're not going to present the gospel. We're continuing to do that. But what I am saying is that the responsibility of preaching the gospel is on the saints. Ephesians chapter 5 says that, that Jesus gives good gifts to the church, and those gifts are the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. What's the point of those fivefold ministry? To evangelize, to have a really cool service where people feel like they're loved and accepted, and to have a really fun time at outreaches. No, it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The point of my position here as the lead pastor of this church, as the shepherd of Emmanuel, is not to make it all about me, but is to equip you to make it all about him. That's the point. 
It's not about me. It's not about what I say. It's not about what I do. It's, it's about, hey, what is the Holy Spirit doing in you? And how are you being used by God this week? And I've messed up. I've failed. If it's just about the Sunday morning service and hearing Pastor Galen preach. It's the reality of it. And so are you bringing light? And look, we're, we're doing a, a deep dive into how to reach certain individuals on Wednesday nights. This entire year on Wednesday nights, our theme has been how to evangelize individuals. And we've done it over the summer. And then we, we went through how to evangelize those that are in, in the Muslim community. And now we're, we're going through and working through what is the Bible say about gender and sexuality and what does that look like and, and, and how do we respond as, as believers and, and how do we point people to Jesus and all of that. And then next year, we're going to talk about how to be a disciple on Wednesday nights and what that looks like and then how to make disciples because face it, a lot of us in this place, we barely know how to be one, let alone make one. But it all starts with us sitting there and saying, I know there's darkness and I've got the light. And so here I go. It starts with a commitment. No matter where the darkness is, wherever God has told you, God's told you to take the light. It's just a matter of where that light gets taken. So is it your family? Is it your workplace? Is it your neighborhood? Is it you know, the local school? Whatever that looks like. What does God propelling you to bring light to. My challenge for today is that you would do it. You would do just that. Be sensitive, and we're going to pray, but we're just going to pray that the Lord would let us be sensitive to places and people that need to experience the light of God. I think it's interesting when you, when you start to begin just to pray about evangelizing and different things. It's much less about going and, and kind of cold calling an individual on the, on the street and talking to them about Jesus. It's much less about that in evangelism. So many times we think in our, in our heads that it's, it's about us walking to a, to a random stranger and saying, and saying, hey, have you heard about Jesus? I'm not saying that that's wrong, but, but most of the time it's, it's the Lord providing opportunities for us in natural conversation to present the gospel. And it's a matter of us being bold and us being sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to recognize those moments. It could be, you know what? You, man, one of the best places maybe to evangelize is Mark's because they have such slow lines. And so what are you doing? You're not finding the, the, the one person that has only five items in line and they're going get, to get through it so you can get through it faster. You're going you're gonna to find one that, you know, you've got one person ahead of them and they've got like 50 items and then the person behind them has got a couple of items. And so you just park your cart right next to them and you start talking to them while you're waiting for 30 minutes until your stuff gets, gets scanned. Why? Because that's an, you don't think that's not an opportunity? <laughs> 
They can't leave, especially if you're blocking them in. Can we be sensitive to opportunities the Holy Spirit gives us? And will we be bold to seize those opportunities when they come? I don't know how many times I've seen opportunities and I was afraid. To my shame, I was afraid. And leaving those moments, kicking myself, thinking, Lord, was that you? And and the Holy Spirit's like, duh. The opportunity was lost. Why? Because I wasn't bold enough. And so not only do we need to pray for opportunities, but we also need to pray for the boldness to seize those opportunities. And so that's what we're going to do. Let's pray.